Before I begin the formal talk, um, I'd just like to make a little suggestion about how to practice while you're listening to the talk. And uh, it's a kind of informal way to keep the thread of practice going, even though we're in a non-silent mode now. I'll be talking, you'll be listening, you'll be thinking about the talk, that's all fine. But here's, here's my suggestion, and, and play with it or experiment with it during the talk. Um, here's, here's what I'd like to suggest to, to get a sense of it is, first of all, put 100% put of your attention on your body to start. Like feel your body or sense your body or just get a, get a taste of what, what's happening in your body or the, it could be the contact with the cushion or your hands touching, your lips touching or your eyelids touching if your eyes are closed for the moment or, or the energy tired or you could be tired after the first day of retreat. And, but just get a feel for your body or, or the bodiness that's here. And then as you stay in contact with that, notice if you have any problem hearing me while you're in contact with your body. And so you don't have to make a lot of effort to hear the talk. Generally, if you know, your ears are working, I'm speaking loud enough, the mic's working. The, the sounds register pretty easily, even while you're in touch with your body sitting here. And then if you open your eyes, and I would invite you to, for a moment even, to open your eyes and look in my direction without basically any effort I'm here. I appear. You don't have to make much effort to see me. Even while you continue to sense your body, feel your body, be mindful of the bodiness that's sitting here. It just happens, the eyes, the ears, they're part of the body. They fun if they're functioning, there's enough light, enough sound, You'll hear and see me even as you continue to stay present with your body, mindful of your body. And that's where it may take a little effort, is to stay mindful of the body, especially if you open your eyes, which you're quite invited to do for the talk. Because this is a good place to begin to practice in speaking and listening, which is one of the areas the Buddha talked about um, or he placed in the mindfulness of the body segment of the four foundations of mindfulness. That to be mindful in all activities, including talking and keeping still. Mindful of the body. So play with it. You'll notice if you, if you keep sensing your body, even while you're looking and listening, it shifts the orientation a little bit to here, to what's a lot, the, the living presence the aliveness here in the body that's hearing, seeing, even you're understanding me. You don't even have to make an effort to do that. 
unless I get way off on the talk, you may have to make some effort to understand. But otherwise, you know, it'll, it's just going to be a Dharma talk. It'll, it won't be too complicated. Okay. So, so experiment with staying in contact with what's alive in your seat, your body. And then see, see what it's like to listen to the talk from that perspective. So um, the first day, I want to just appreciate that however many days this retreat is going to be, you've completed the first day. And um, it's usually not the easiest day. As um, Pamela was saying, it takes a while to um, attune to the uh, culture here to the presence here, to the space here, to the quiet, to the silence that Catherine was talking about yesterday. It takes a little while for our, our psyche, our consciousness, our nervous system to kind of wind down a little bit. And so it's often not the easiest day, but it can be really helpful if we're gracious to ourselves, with ourselves today to understand the, the overarching arc of a retreat, that it's like, you know, like uh, Pamela said, we flew in from the West Coast. You don't usually get over the jet lag in one day. You know, it takes a day or two, and if you're patient and kind of sensitive to what's needed, it'll happen. And then we land here more and more each hour, each day. And so today, many, many different topics we could talk about on the first day of a retreat. But I got a little inspired in the questions and answers this afternoon. Um, uh, somebody asked a question about um, awakening. And the question was, what are we waking up to? And I thought, that's a really good question. What are we waking? What is, you know, what is that? So I thought I would try to speak to it some. And like Jan, I said earlier, he said, he said, doesn't mean I'm going to answer the question, but I'll speak to it. And um, the 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 Buddha, when he was after he was awakened. He was walking down the road, and somebody ran into him, and he looked really good. You know, he was kind of bright and radiant and luminous and had this presence about him. And the guy who ran into him like, was like, well, who are you? What, what, who, who are you? There's something special about you. Are you a god, or are you a deva? Or are you a king? Or are you from some other world? Or, or what, what, what is it about you? Who are you? What are you? He asked, actually asked him, what are you? And the Buddha answered, I am awake. And so this is a really key term in Buddhism. And the, the word Buddha means awake. 
And from there, there are many different um, permeations of what awake means. And people use different words to understand that. Some people like to use the word enlightenment. It's actually a little more of a Western term than an Eastern term, enlightenment. Or some people, often the word that's used um, traditionally is liberation or freedom. Or sometimes when people talk about the awakening or the opening or the freedom that comes, they talk about it in terms of healing or wholeness. Or sometimes it's talked about more specifically relating to the heart. It's talked about as love. Or sometimes related to the head. And the head center is talked about as um, um, uh, the nature of mind. These are different ways awakening is talked about both uh, conventionally and then in the different Buddhist traditions. And so there's not just one term, but it's definitely that we could use the word awake and feel very comfortable with that term, that we, we wake up. What, and what do we wake up to? What do we wake up to? Or what is, what is it we understand when we're awake? There are many traditional ideas about this, many different ways the Buddha himself talked about what it is to awake. Um, one, one common way that we talk about it is to awaken to the way things are, to the truth of the way things are. And that's a really beautiful Dharma understanding that can be incredibly vague at first. Like, what does that mean, the way things are? How are things? What things? Or sometimes it's said that we awaken to the Dharma. And then the Dharma also equals, is translated as the truth. So we awaken to the truth. So we awaken to the truth of the way things are. And that's a very common also a common understanding, and even in the West, in the Western traditions, it says the truth will set you free. And we awaken to that truth, which is freeing for us. One of the most, um, one of the central ways the Buddha talked about his awakening, he said it this way, he, says, he said, I teach one thing, and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. So we awaken to this one thing. I, I actually really love, the Buddha said, he didn't say two things. He didn't say two things, suffering and the end of suffering. He said one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. And I think that's very helpful on the first day because you may be, it may be that you've experienced a little more the suffering side than the end of suffering side. Would, would that be true? Yeah. But they're, they're not separate. I think that's what's important to understand. And that's why the first day is as valuable as any day on retreat. It's a day where 
actually it's, like I said, often it's not that easy. There's a certain amount of physical suffering or mental suffering or emotional suffering or energetic suffering. But this suffering is not the end of the story. It's part of the story. It's an important part of what it means to be awake. That we awaken to suffering and the end of suffering. And they're connected. And so part of a way we can think about um, what does it mean to awaken is we begin to look very closely at what the Buddha did, what happened for him, and what he understood in terms of suffering and the end of suffering. And there's no end of suffering without suffering. They go together. The freedom may be beyond both. But if you, if you have the end of suffering, you have to have suffering. There's also um, other ways that this awakening is talked about. One of the ways that it's talked about is um, as awakening to our Buddha nature, or sometimes true nature, or again, the nature of the way things are. And so what's implied here when it's talked about this way, is that there's something we're not seeing or we're not perceiving, or we may perceive it dimly or once in a while, uh, or we ha may have an intuition about something about who and what we are that is beyond the mundane or beyond the conventional or beyond the usual way we take ourselves to be, I'm somebody going through this world as a separate individual and here's my life and my problems and my this and that. There may, there may be something more, something more, more um, uh, archetypal about who and what we are that the Buddha is an archetypal manifestation of. And the beauty of the Buddha and the radiance of the Buddha and the continence of the Buddha is also ours. And we have a sense of that sometime or an intimation of that at times or an intuition of that. And we understand, oh, freedom brings this fullness of being that is not simply based on our history or our ideas about who and what we are. And I'm just trying to give a little, a little bit of a broad context to start when we talk about what does it mean to awaken. The Buddha talked about um, it in very um, simple terms. He often would talk about peace. An awakening, nibbana, means peace. Very simple. Often so simple, people overlook it or people miss it because we're so, we're moving at such a fast pace that even the peace that may be here in the moment or the freedom that might be here in the moment, not some far way down the path at the end of 20 years of retreat, but even here and now, 
we, we miss it. We don't see it. So another way the Buddha talked about enlightenment, this is a quote from the Buddha. He says, luminous is this mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by the attachments that visit it. This unlearned people do not really understand, so they do not cultivate this mind. Luminous is this mind, or this heart, we could say. Because remember, in the, in the Pali and in Sanskrit, the, the word chitta, uh, uh, same word for mind and heart. It doesn't have the division that we make between mind and heart. And this is a little aside, but originally, in, even in the Western uh, traditions, in the Greek, the mind was always found in the torso. It took a lot of um, progress for the mind to move up into the head. But originally, it was also the mind and the heart was same place, both in the East and the West. So he said, luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This is the noble follower of this the noble follower of the way really understands. So for them there is cultivation of this mind. So one of the things that we're doing here is beginning to cultivate our mindfulness. We're starting to cultivate our capacity to look closely and kindly at what's happening here, what's happening in, in your seat. And Munindraji, who was Joseph Goldstein's first teacher, he would always say, he would say, the whole Dharma is sitting here, and he would point to you. The whole Dharma is sitting right in your seat. It's not out on some mountain or some other place, or it's actually right in your seat. And so we're cultivating this mind with mindfulness. We're cultivating this body, we could say also with bodyfulness and heart with heartfulness. The totality of our experience we're beginning to pay attention to. So we can begin to discover what the Buddha and his followers all the way down the lineage, that stream that Yanai mentioned, that stream of Dharma practitioners, men and women, that includes us, have been uh, seeking and finding for some 2,600 years. Um, another way that uh, awakening is described is from the Zen tradition, from Zen Master Dogen, who says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self, which is what we've begun. To study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to awaken with all things. And I, I find this a really beautiful understanding of what it means to awaken, to wake up. That we study the self, we study what's sitting in our seat, 
and and in its totality, in its uh, in its its somatic, physical, energetic, emotional, affective, mental, cognitive experience. We study the totality of what's here. And we, as we study in this way, and study means be mindful of, pay attention to, be sensitive to what's happening in this place, in this moment. And as we start to get sensitive, and we're starting very much with the body, and we'll open to the emotions and feelings and moods and the mental states and the the process of thought and beyond that, beyond, we start to see that there is a capacity of mind, this luminosity of mind that is not defined by what it knows. That the mindfulness itself is not defined by what it knows. The knowing is like Catherine was saying, is a little like the silence that's here. It's pervasive. It's open. It's allowing. It's accepting of all things. And we start to cultivate this quality of mind that starts to know everything, be aware of anything and that is not defined by what it knows. And so in that process of studying the self, right, we study the self in all its manifestations, we begin to see this changing flow of experience, this magical display of body and heart and mind. That's here moment by moment by moment. And it changes. Have you noticed today any changes? Has it been the same all day or did it change? One sitting good, one sitting not good, one sitting lots of thoughts, another sitting sleepy and tired, another sitting back pain. Could be a lot of suffering, but still it doesn't stay the same exactly. It's always alive. It's always different. It's always moving. There's not a solid thing here, exactly. And so as we study the self, we start to relax. So to study the self is to forget the self, or to let the sense of self, the usual sense of self, start to relax. And you might not be quite there yet. Give it a couple more days for the relaxed sense of self. But it's, it's part of the trajectory of what it means to be awake. That we begin to see that this sense of self that we all have, and that's really fine to have, it's not a problem having it. We're not saying get rid of it. We're just saying, Dogen says, kind of forget about it. Or, or we could say more contemporary language. We might say, oh, don't be so self-conscious or relax. And you know, when you relax, you're not thinking about yourself things happen in a kind of, with a kind of ease or naturalness at times, or an openness or a, a, a sense of graciousness can happen. 
And it may happen at times when we go to go out and we're in nature. We're out in nature. We're not so much thinking about ourselves. And then all of a sudden we feel this sense of awakeness or aliveness or hereness or presence. And it's not so far away. And in a retreat like this, we, we get to pay attention and recognize both suffering and the end of suffering. When that sense of self-contraction is in abeyance or relaxes, and we're just here. We're just here with the breath or the body or a, a step. It's very simple. So to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to awaken with all things. All things. And this is pointing to the inclusiveness that all of us have talked about and that we feel is really important uh, as a, um, one of the tones or flavors of how to practice with a sense of inclusivity. That actually we don't awaken by getting rid of things. We awaken by being present with all things as they appear and we begin to study them and study their nature, their temporal nature, the nature of all things, which is to arise sustain for a little bit, and then to change or fade or disappear like today did. It's gone. Where'd it go? Same thing's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to come. It's going to sustain for a while, probably about 24 hours. <laughs> and then it just, it kind of disappears. And we're slowing down from flying to driving to walking to sitting so we can begin to study the reality of what it is to be a human being. And then to see, well, what is it we wake up from? Right? What is it we wake up from? One of my friends said, we don't get rid of our dreams. We wake up from them. And if we're going to use this term, awake, then I think sleep is a, is a, a very important understanding. That there's a certain kind of sleep, it is said, that we wake up from. A way that our eyes are not totally open yet. In the Buddhist tradition, um, um, the word that's used in the Pali is kalesa, sometimes translated as affliction, sometimes defilement, sometimes poison. Not my favorite terms, to be honest. But they point to a kind of a sleepness, that we're not seeing clearly the way things are. We're seeing them based on our conditioning. And so we study the self, not trying to get rid of our conditioning, but to see our conditioning for what it is. To see, oh, 
how, what ways, what views, what ideas, what beliefs we might be looking through. And then especially as they start to dissolve, what's here? Because we all bring all kinds of ideas and views and beliefs and whole ways of uh, perceiving the world based on the past or based on our conditioning or if you're psychologically minded based on our psychology or our childhood. And they all point to something. They point to a way that we go through the world as if we're in a trance at times. That we go through the world in a habitual way. That we don't actually see the way things are. We don't see clearly. And it's nothing to feel bad about or think we've done it wrong. It's part of the, seems to be part of the nature of being a human being. And part of the nature of being a human being is this possibility for awakening from that trance, from that sleep, to go beyond our conditioning or beyond the mechanical kind of sleepwalking our way through life. Funny, I, I remember one experience practicing here in Barrie on a long retreat, and uh, I had a, an insight. And remember, you can't make insights happen. Everybody know that? I just want to give you a heads up so you don't have to try. It's just like you can't make awakening happen. Can't, I, I can't do that. What I can do is be mindful and pay attention and then things happen. The Dharma, the way I like to say it is, we're not doing the Dharma. The Dharma's doing us. And we do our part. And our part is to be as wholehearted as possible in our practice. But, but it's not up to, we can't make awakening happen. It'll, it'll do us as it sees fit in some way. But I remember doing, this was in walking practice. I actually had a really big insight. And it was very powerful in the walking. And of course, I wasn't expecting it, wasn't thinking about it, wasn't trying to make it happen. I was just trying to walk and <laughs> pay attention to my feet and legs like, like uh, uh, Catherine was talking about today. And it was like for, for even a short time, it was like the whole machine stopped. And it was, it, it was, it caught my attention. It was like a whole way of being just stopped. And I'd never had, I never had this quite experience before. And I'd, and I'd understood something because I'd heard it talked about in some of uh, the different spiritual schools, not this one, but uh, in the, what's called the fourth way schools, Gurdjieffian, they talk about human beings as machines. I never quite understood what they were talking about until I felt this, like the whole machine, the whole machinery of who and what I was taking myself to be and what reality was. It just stopped. It was the weirdest thing. And then when it was started again, it was, I just felt so happy to see that, to just actually see, oh, what I've been taking myself to be may not be the whole picture. It's part of the picture. So we wake 
from what's said to be a dream. Just like, you know how real it all seemed when you were dreaming and these people were in it, you were fighting with them or making love with them or running from them or doing business with them. Remember those dreams, right? And then you wake up. It's like, oh, it was a dream. It, it could get really interesting here. <laughs> Maybe we're not totally sure what this is yet. Or maybe our past and what we know doesn't have to define the next moment of experience. Part of being awake in any moment means that there's a possibility to see freshly, immediately, what's here. Not veiled by our old ideas, and, and it doesn't mean we have to get rid of them. We can, you know, there's a certain database that we're going to refer to. But if we keep looking at the database and thinking that's reality, we might miss what's right in front of us. And so this movement towards awakening with all things begins with studying the self and studying ourselves here and now, in the present moment, because that is where awakening will happen, in the present moment. Not in our imagining what awakening will be, not in our remembering what awakening was, only here and now. And so we're starting where the Buddha suggests we start, with the body with this physical aliveness that's here. And you can continue to feel it even right now, even slightly. And notice what that living reality that's only happening now, which is your body and your breath and your sensations, to keep staying, start, start, starting to be mindful of your body in a continuous way. And one of the skillful means of using the body as a place to begin is it begins to take us or drop us, as Catherine was saying, drop, drop us into our feet. We want to drop into our body and a little bit come out of our um, usual residence, which is our mind. And it's a little paradoxical because we're using our mind to come into our bodies. And so the phrase is to be uh, contemplate the body in the body or be mindful of the body in the body or um, uh, uh, one of my teachers, uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, he says, uh, um, cultivate mindfulness immersed in the body. And I like the term immersed because it points to how uh, I think it's very helpful that the mindfulness of the body is a, a sensate experience. It's a sensual experience. The body's alive. So we want to feel it or, 
or uh, sense it or let the mind kind of meld into it or merge with it or be or, or, or kind of uh, saturate the body. And because we want to feel it, we want to become more and more sensitive to the body and then the breathing of the body. And see how, how as Pam said, we're, bringing, we're beginning to bring body and mind together. We want to see how close they can get. How fully can we allow the mind to saturate the body, soak into the body, seep into the body? How fully can we allow the uh, body to fill the mind? And it starts to bring things together in a way that is more unified, has more sense of wholeness. We're not so fragmented. Here's one way to begin to experiment with this. If you just hold your hand just in front of you for a second, in front of you or wherever it is, and then think about your hand. Think about all the different things about your hand, what, what's there. And I'll, I'll name a few, but you'll have them. Skin, bones, muscle, blood, tendon, fingernails, uh, lines, fingerprints. Maybe your hand feels achy, you know, just all the different things we know about your hand. Maybe you're a writer, you write with a pen, or, or you type, or maybe you're an artist and you use your hands, or maybe you're a gardener or a craftsperson, or, you know, a carpenter, you use your hand, right? There's all the things you know about the hand. And you know the hand has five fing four fingers and a thumb, all these, all kinds of stuff. Now shut your eyes for a moment and just feel your hand. Don't think about it. Just feel it. Sense it. Let the mind or mindfulness or sensitivity of consciousness begin to saturate your hand. And then notice what that is like, which is not so much to think about the hand or the image of hand or the idea of hand, but the direct experience of what we call hand. And often when people do this, they'll feel, sometimes they'll feel heat, sometimes they'll feel coolness, sometimes vibration. Sometimes they'll have a sense that actually the definition or the boundary of the hand starts to get vague. Like the fingers all feel like one thing. Or they'll feel like the hand is um, floating sometimes in air. That the direct experience is, a, is not an idea from the past. It's alive here in the present moment. And this is the movement of mindfulness immersed in the body and with the breath. That the closer we get, the more there'll be this immediacy of knowing by feeling, by sensing, by touching, in, in immediate. A little bit un, un, uh, obscured by our ideas. Even though, even, even, um, uh, even the idea heavy or light or warm or cool, those are all concepts, but they're pointing to a more primary 
experience of ourselves in the present. This is a living experience of the body. It's not a past or future experience of the body. And that's where we want to head, especially for the first few days, is to collect or compose or gather our mind, mindfulness, and our body and see what starts to happen as we land here in this very full way in this with this sense of, uh, the favorite word I like is the sense of composure, that we compose ourselves here with our physical presence and, and begin to move out of our mind and our ideas and our beliefs and our memories and all our thoughts and all our imaginings and all our expectations into the simplicity of right here, right now, things as they are in this moment. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this in a certain way. He says, I wish to say something about the expression um, contemplating the body in the body, or the feelings in the feelings, mind in mind. These are the four foundations. He says the key, he, he says often he uses the term uh, observing the body in the body. And um, he says the key to, quote, observation meditation, unquote, is that the subject of the object of the observation and the object of the observation not be regarded as two separate things. In other words, there's not a little person in our mind who's paying attention to the body. The, be, the knowing and the being are one thing. We know because the knowing is inherent in the contact with our direct experience. It's not from a distance. And it may be from a distance at first, and even that's good. I don't want to, because sometimes that's how it feels, like we're observing from a distance. But what Thich Nhat Hanh is suggesting is we want to observe as closely as possible until that observing, observing really melds into the actual experience of what's being known. That the knowing and the being are right there together. Right there. Right here. And this is my understanding of what it means to contemplate. But I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Thich Nhat Hanh says, he said, a scientist might try to separate him or herself from the object he or she is observing and measuring. But students of meditation have to remove the boundary between subject and object. When we observe something, we are that thing. Non-duality is the key word. And so we're moving towards an immediacy with our direct experience, moment by moment by moment. And how do we do this? Just like we're doing it. Exactly like we're doing it. Being with the body, being with the breath, going off, getting lost in thought. It's, it's just, especially first day, it's going to happen. Being kind of grumpy, being irritated, being sleepy, being doubtful, wondering, why did I come? What am I doing here? Where can I go? Isn't there anything interesting happening here? Why are all these people doing this? 
wanting something better to happen, not wanting what's here to be happening. And, we're, and, and through it all, through it all, we're let, that's really letting the mind begin to settle. It's really letting it, like the, the silt in a glass of water, you know, it's, you see a lot of it on top and it starts to drop down and drop down. You just let it happen. And we'll, we'll talk a little more about paying attention to those kinds of energies. But right now you can just pay attention to any experience you have also has a bodily component to it. If you're irritated, just feel your body. It'll be different than if you feel happy. There'll be a different quality in the body and even the breath. Or as Pam was saying, we're, we can be mindful with the breathing. If something's really strong, pain in the heart, pain in the back, or emotional pain or physical pain, breathe with it. Breathe with it. You don't have to deny it, get rid of it, be in contention with it. No, we really want the spirit of inclusivity, right? We're going to awaken with all things, all things, suffering and the end of suffering. They're together. So we're going to awaken with our suffering. And so the breath can be a great friend, a great ally, breathing with all of our experience, moment by moment, whatever it is. Even if it's really good, breathe with it. Even if you start to feel, you can have some really cool experiences on retreat, right? The body can melt, boundaries can melt, you feel your heart open, you, it's great. It's beautiful, breathe with it. Stay, stay connected, stay here with it. Don't simply go off and get lost in anything. And it's really helpful to be kind. So I just say a few words before I close. The Buddha, he had a very succinct description of mindfulness. He said, because we hold ourselves dear, because we hold ourselves dear, we maintain careful self-regard both day and night. That's a beautiful description of mindfulness. Because we hold ourselves dear, because we understand, and this is a, a very uh, um, traditional Buddhist understanding, that human birth is precious. And it's a precious, magical opportunity to awaken. And so we hold ourselves. This person, with all our foibles, all the problems, whatever you have, whatever you've got, in Buddhism, they're secondary. They don't define you, that there's something beautiful here, exactly who you are. And so we hold ourselves dear. And, and in holding ourselves dear, we maintain this careful self-regard, a caring mindfulness, a warm mindfulness, a kindfulness, a kind mindfulness both day and night. And so that's a little bit of the spirit of how we want to pay attention to our bodies, our breath, and even all the ways we get lost or whatever happens during the day, especially a first day or two of a retreat where it, it tends to be harder. We tend to think, you know, have a lot of doubt or difficulty. 
<clears throat> people are sometimes, at least when I was growing up in the Dharma, there was more of a um, striving kind of effort. And it has its place, actually. I want to say that. It has its place. But often it was very, people were very hard on themselves. And there's, there's a poem here I'll read to you from uh, Honest Word. She said, she says, I say to my body, you carcass. I say, you carcass, crated, nailed down, deaf and blind like a padlock. I should beat you till you scream, starve you for 40 days, hang, over the, hang you over the highest abyss of the world. Perhaps then a window in you would open. Perhaps then a window in you would open on everything I feel exists, on everything that is closed to me. I say to my body, you carcass, you are afraid of pain and hunger. You are afraid of the abyss. You deaf, blind carcass, I say, and I spit at the mirror. That's not the tone we want for the retreat. Okay. <laughs> We're much more interested in really a, a kindness. Because another way we can understand how do we get to awakening, a little bit we can mimic some of the qualities or characteristics of awakening, of which kindness for sure is one of them. Compassion is said to be one side of the, of the two wings of awakening, compassion and wisdom, and that we can't have one without the other. <clears throat> so just feeling your body, it's actually really simple. It's the simplicity, like even now, of just feeling our bodies the pressure, the tiredness might be achy, the talk's almost over. Just feeling what's here, what's living here, what's alive here in the moment. And not turning away from it, not denying it, not going for something else, some fantasy, but learning to rest here in the present moment through this portal or this vehicle to awakening that we call the body. And I'll end with a quote from my teacher's teacher's teacher, Ajahn Mun, who was a great Thai forest practitioner in the last century, probably died in the 1950s, Ajahn Mun. He said, in your investigation of the world, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. 
Examine the, the nature of the body. See the elements that comprise it. See the impermanence, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth timeless and delivered. Let's sit together for a minute, please. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature, see the, the elements that comprise it, see the impermanence, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll have a period of walking practice now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.